Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Paper Podcast. We hope you're as excited as we are as the World Cup is just two days away and today is the big one as we preview the entire tournament. As has become preview tradition, I'm joined by the full array of columnists as well as England and British and Irish Lions centre Jerry Guscott. Right, the big one. We are two days out from the opening fixture of the Rugby World Cup. Uh, this episode is the all-important big preview, which will include things such as our tournament winner predictions, of course, upset predictions, star of the tournament predictions, and more. In true Rugby Paper Podcast preview style, we've got the full array of columnists with me, as well as England and former British and Irish Lions centre and the Rugby Paper's very own Jerry Guscott. How are you, Jerry? Yeah, I'm very good, Ollie. I'm... Uh... I'm looking forward to the tournament. I must say, I always do. Every four years, it's um, something. If, if you love rugby, and even if you if you don't understand rugby or watch it very often, you're going to because it's all that's going to be talked about for the for the next uh, uh, six six weeks. It will be all over the normal rugby nations, and then that will spread to the other non rugby nations. It, it should be an absolute belter. Yeah, no, that's a good way of setting it. I suppose I'm starting with a slightly leading question, but. How does this excitement differ to previous tournaments in terms of obviously you're excited as an England fan most of the time, but also excited as a neutral? Where's the needle in that sort of scale at the moment? I think the excitement for me is that we were doing my column with Nick um, not so long ago, and I was sort of we were looking at the fixtures uh, in, in the pool stages that were exciting uh, and unusual. And I'll just start with a couple. You've got England against Argentina and you've got Wales against Fiji. And as it stands right now, Argentina are a higher world ranking than England and Fiji have a higher <laughs> higher, higher world ranking than Wales. <laughs> which, which, I, which I think is, which I think is uh, unbelievable. And that just shows where we are. <laughs> in world rugby at the moment and I, I you know just that tickles me somewhat so that you know even in the, the the opening two days we've got that that scenario as well as the you know what could be a world cup final with with France and England uh, sorry France and New Zealand opening it all up it is it's brilliant and so much to look forward to I'll tell you what I'll tell you what yeah also in in terms of what what really feeds the excitement of this tournament is that that France is such a, a vibrant, I mean, it's always been a vibrant rugby culture, but it's off the scale vibrant in the moment for a whole bag of reasons. Um, it's just a perfect place to be playing this at this point in time, isn't it? Yeah, all you guys have reported all around the world on World Cups, Lions tours, you know, different nationals, uh, teams touring, uh, and rugby in France is, is a way of life, particularly down in the south. I mean, we've, we've been to New Zealand uh, and it's mad there. South Africa is mad. Australia, definitely nowhere near South, uh, South Africa and New Zealand. And France, the rest of the rugby world are going to realise and understand how popular and how into uh, rugby union they are and what superstars the, their, their team are, especially now that they're one of the favourites, if not the favourites. And everybody going you know, to, to the different places that they're in, in France, that they will be, that they'll just be welcomed with open arms. They'll see them at some of the Mediterranean life and some of the other side of life. And they'll absolutely enjoy it. And I, I promise you, they'll be booking holidays there next year. There's a great stat out there that 
There's only one French club in the top 14 and the Pro D2 that hasn't got a player in the World Cup. So 29 of the 30 French top French professional rugby clubs have got somebody playing in the World Cup. And that just makes it a nationwide event. So it, the Southwest obviously is brilliant, but the whole country is invested in it. You know, the whole country. And with with Le Bleu's, you know, um, so strong, so formidable and so attractive to watch at the moment, you can imagine it's just going to be on fire over there for six weeks, one way or another. Yeah, it's going to be nuts for all of us, whether we're going or whether we're here. And, you know, again, I remember some of the openings when you, when you arrive at that country and you're introduced. Um, and I just saw something on social media of Dan Bigger uh, taking the Welsh team into where they, they're based. And he's been at Toulon for a year. And he must, he must have spoken for two minutes in French. Uh, I mean, how classy, it was terrific. brilliant. It was terrific. Yeah, yeah I, I just thought that was awesome. And, and that really got my buzz and my vibe for, for the World Cup actually going, thinking, wait, do you know what? I don't know what, well, only my bad back would stop me from watching this opening game. And, and you know, I, a lot of people, you love rugby. This is an awesome game to go to. Um, I'm going to be sat on my sofa uh, with a nice bottle of uh, red. It's certainly, I, and in all honesty, it won't be French because I, I, I like Prim Primitivo and Tempranello. So sorry about that, the French people. You've come a long way from Walker, old boys, Jerry. <laughs> I definitely have. <laughs> I mean, you just, as far as Walcott are concerned, you just as well be speaking in a foreign language. Yeah, yeah, it's house red. It's definitely house red, even in a, you know, a Chinese restaurant or Italian, uh, it, it could be. But what does everybody else think about this World Cup? Exactly, well, as you, really, Jerry. I mean, another thing on social media, did you see the Chile team? You know, unknown Chile. Nobody really knows anything about them much. They're, they're probably thinking, what are we in for here? They got greeted. I think it was up in Brittany. Like the whole local town came out, and they got this Breton dance with. They all wear their their traditional costume, and all the Chile lads put on their sort of Chile national hat, and and they were doing this. <laughs> I suppose you call it Morris dancing, but you think you don't get this any other time. Every four years is when this happens, and those lads they're going to get beaten in every match, probably uh, almost certainly. But they're going to have a great month, a really great rugby month, and. You know, World Cup is bigger than just who wins the trophy at the end of it. It is. And don't you think, you know, what's brilliant about that, just you, you mentioned Chile, but we talk about the opening game being France and New Zealand, and then we've got the special matches in those pool stages, then the knockout stages. But for a team like Chile, every game is a World Cup final. They've reached the World Cup final, and no matter what the experts think, those guys uh, have got four games. They've got four World Cup finals. Uh, and they're going to get built up for them. They're going to enjoy every single occasion. They may get a, you know, a few wallopings, but that will not deter them and the environment that they're in, thinking that that's, you know, every game is huge and massive. And I, you know, I will watch a game. I certainly watch a game that they're in because I, I want to embrace as much of this World Cup and see as much of this World Cup as I can, because as we all know, the, the French are going to do it very well. 
I think the, one of the one of the key aspects of it, and and a few of us were banging on about this in in tournaments stretching back years, and it slowly it slowly corrected itself. Is the fixture list is a bit more a bit more of a level playing field for the smaller countries than it once was. I mean, Chile is still faced with a very busy opening few days. They have I think they play Japan and then Samoa in a relatively short space of time, but. They will think that physically, if they can stack up against anyone in that group, it's probably Japan. And they've got those them first up, which at least gives them the World Cup, the World Cup final of the four World Cup finals they're playing. The one that where they can receive conceivably make a mark is first up, which does help them. And if they can come out of that with a bag of credit, then 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 the rest of the tournament for them will be a complete joy, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe um, England and Wales are in the same position. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm beginning to sense a theme here. (laughs) I think the idea of it being a great festival of rugby, a great fest, you know, festivity, and um, is what the game really needs at the moment. And France is a great uh, location for that to happen. Um, I think the first time we really saw towns sort of adopting um, uh, teams that they were hosting was uh, probably in Australia. Um, and uh, I think that it's sort of gone from there. But it's incredibly important that the game gets, you know, a, a, a huge amount of positive uh, publicity and coverage out of this World Cup. Because, it, in, it, I mean, it's not, it's not a global thing because the game is actually booming, obviously, in France. I think it's it's in very good health in Argentina. It's in pretty good health in South Africa, I think. But certainly the game in the UK is not in a good place. And um, it, it needs this tournament to help to reset the game uh, in England and Wales in particular. Um so I, I think it can be a massive force for the good, as World Cups, Cups, you know, very often have been. I think that's very fair. I, on the British mainland, you would say that the game's in, the, in its best place in Scotland. Yeah, actually, well, that, yeah. that's 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 where the the positive vibes are. You know, that's where people are feeling up about the game in England and Wales. It is quite the opposite. So there's there's uh, as Cherry as Cherry has pointed out on more than one occasion in the first few seconds of the podcast. Yeah. It's um you know it, it it is a concern, and I do think that both both of those countries need need a bit of a positive momentum. Yeah, and the 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 intriguing thing about it is is that they've got significant hurdles to get over with Wales and Fiji and England and Samoa. Well, so, Fiji today have lost Caleb Caleb Munts from the tournament, I, I which is a savage blow for them because he, he's a a New Zealand reared ten who, on the evidence of the game at Twickenham, sort of understood. I mean, he's he's not Daniel Carter, but he's he understood how to sort of guide a side around the field and keep a side that's in the ascendant, in the ascendant. You know, I mean, he he, he pulled all the right strings in that game, injured himself in training yesterday and he's gone. So that's a big blow for Fiji. Okay. Yeah, it is. I mean, I thought he was very impressive against England. Mm. He, Proper he, fly-off and a good goal kicker. Yeah. They would often lack you know, an 80% goal kicker. Well, he didn't miss anything in that game, did he? No, he was good, wasn't he? He, he landed everything. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a that's a blow to them. That's for sure. But yeah. you never know. They've got. Um, is, is it Ben Vola Vola? He's he's a bloke who's yeah. been around a bit. Yeah, and Sarebi. Yeah. Who who at the age of ninety eight could still sell someone a dummy <laughs> if he could do nothing if he could do nothing else? Isn't that right, Jeff? Well, he sold me a few, that's for sure, and I still think I'm uh, I'm going for the now. Uh, yeah, what a wonderfully gifted player. He certainly was, but yeah, if uh, it was if it was an all important uh, kick at goal, three points to win a game, I I'd back months rather than I would uh, my lovely man, Sarevi. Gary, I just want to ask you about um, your column that you wrote for the rugby paper recently. You wrote about the whole write-off New Zealand movement that has followed from the Springbok demolition job and. New Zealand's not really a team that we've covered so much in the build-up to this Rugby World Cup. Um, we do have Sean Fitzpatrick, who will be coming on during the tournament. But I just wondered, you said in the column that you're not jumping aboard that bandwagon. I wondered whether you could just expand on that a little bit. Well, I think you've got to be nuts if you are. Um, yes, they didn't play well. Yes, South Africa were brutal uh, in their execution. They were... Uh, Everything went right, and New Zealand. I just didn't see a New Zealand team that I'd been watching during the championship. Uh, nothing, nothing really happened for them, and I, I'm not sure why. It wasn't even you know. I see when they've lost their games, uh, you know, to the likes of South Africa before Argentina, Ireland. I've just not seen that kind of performance. And you know what? It's almost it's just been dismissed dismissed from my memory. And maybe that's wrong. Because I, I just I just my, my my whole belief is that New Zealand are too talented not to make a big mark on this on this game. That their team is too good. Okay. We could argue and, and rightfully argue that their pack is not as strong and as powerful and as brutal as the French. Or, or the South Africans. And that is maybe why they got demolished at Twickenham. It may have a large part to play in it. But I think they're so intelligent in their rugby game, whereas uh, to, to France aren't. They, they've just got really beautiful playing rugby, rugby men uh, that, just follow each other and have natural instinct on, on how to play the game. The Irish are the intelligent rugby players. They play to a system, a process that they all get. One gets injured, you slot one in, nothing changes. France just have a, an amazing pool of talent. You know, the only the only play you would that would make a difference, I think, if they if, if they've lost lost him for a, a period of time, would be Dupont. Everybody else, I think, is is, is fairly replaceable. Um, but I, I just think New Zealand have this talent from one to 23. Uh, New Zealand have always backed, the, you know, they would have 10 subs if they could because they've always believed they've got more talent than any other team in the country. Yes, they're beatable. We've seen them beatable all over this last couple of seasons, but they did show in the rugby championship how good they are. And that's, I'm basing, I, I'm not ruling them out because of that thrashing by South Africa because of their performances during the rugby championship. And I know that Nick Kane is dying to come in to say why they are to be written off. 
No, he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I think you. I think you're bang on. I think you're spot on. I. I. I don't think anybody can write them off. There, you know, they. They. They do have a great depth. They always have. They've got some outstanding players at the moment. The one. The one thing that sort of bothers me about it is is the fact that, in a way, they've never really found um, a place for Bowden Barrett. Um, since that, yeah, well, I, I guess for probably the last sort of three, three, four years or so, he's gone from the fly half berth. Moanga is now the uh, the chosen man, and I, I, I sort of still feel, you know, is he really a fullback? You know, he's a, he he's a utility, but he doesn't seem to have the same impact that you know. You remember that phenomenal impact he had in 2015. So at the moment, he seems to be he, he seems to be a man a little bit lost. Um, and uh, but but they've got so much ability. The guy Tilea that they've brought in on on the wing is um, is another very very fine player, very very dangerous. Um, the forwards, yeah, they don't have quite the uh, the the impact that they did. Um, they're probably not quite deep enough in in certain positions there. But if they do manage to get their, you know, if Retallick is fit, if Lomax is fit um, at tight head prop, I think that they'll be uh, that they'll be very difficult to beat. Is Frizzell playing? Is he in the World Cup or is he out of the World Cup? No, he's in the squad. Yeah, he's in. Well, that that man is. You know, we're talking about one of the players of the tournament. He he certainly could be. Um, I just think he's dynamite in in the back row. He he's a guy who. You know, I, I mentioned in a column with 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 Caney about the Fijians run with the ball, and they run at a player like they're not there, like they don't exist in that moment. They run through you, and this guy Frizzell is exactly the same. He runs through you, and if it's not someone like Frizzell who could be that man of the tournament, I mean, I know Ollie, we're going to come on to men of the tournament, but um, Will Jordan, the winger, fullback, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's I mean, he, He's sensational. I mean, if you if we talk about Dupont, you watch that guy. Everybody listening to this podcast, you you watch Will Jordan because it's a it's a masterclass in, in, in rugby. And I think the only thing Foster might be doing wrong is when you know Nick talks about Bowden Barrett, where to play him. Just put him on the bench. Stick him on the bench, and what an impact that guy's coming on. And whether he plays. At ten, or whether he plays on the on the flipping wing, for that matter, he's that gifted. That guy can still, at his age, with his talent, make a difference. I'm I'm absolutely with with, with Jerry and Nick on this. Um, I, I think the All Blacks are as good as as good as anyone, and better than the vast majority. It numbers between eight and fifteen. Um, I think Frizzell, who was really coming into his own in the rugby championship, and he took big steps up, is an almost sort of not quite a like for like with, with Kaino, who was a, a hell of a player in a slightly different way. Um, Sam Kane, he's not a McCaw, is he? But, but his captaincy is held in exceptionally high regard. And it's not as though New Zealand is short of sevens. Um, so he's doing something right. I think Scott Barrett for all the all dumb nonsense that he gets up to, um, including that game against the Springboks. I think he's a bit of a force for them. I think if Retallick is anything like, and we haven't seen him play as well um, since he went to Japan, and or since he returned to Japan as he was prior, 
but he's quite a player. I'm a massive admirer of Sam Whitelock. And as ever, their front row, by comparison with those guys, is slightly anonymous. Um, so I do think that there's a, there are a couple of holes up front. But as Jerry says, instinctively, in game understanding, in the capitalisation of opportunities, they're as good as anyone, better than virtually everyone. And I would expect them to go very deep into the tournament and, and, and be close to winners, close to winners. But on that note, are they beating France this Friday, Chris? Um, possibly, <laughs> possibly, poss possibly not. And I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it it matters um, massively because one and two in that group play one and two in the Ireland, South Africa, Scotland group. It's a it's a it's a pretty brutal old tournament in that half of the draw. Um, I'm not I'm not sure it matters massively. Um, and as we know from 2019, the Springboks lost their opening game yeah. uh, against the All Blacks and went on to win the title. I mean, injuries are going to kick in. How much sort of physical collateral damage there is uh, in the intense quarterfinals where that leaves the winners of those games come semi-final time. There's a load of imponderables about it. But just on paper, I can see New Zealand win or lose in the opening match. And that's, this is not to say they're not going to try. I mean, it's going to be a hell of an occasion. And I, but I think it might matter more to France than it does to New Zealand. Whether that whether that actually works against the French temperamentally, uh, I'm not sure because I think they're much more controlled side emotionally and temperamentally as, uh, th th than we've seen at times in the past. Um, I think France really need to win, don't they, on Friday? After 2007... I think it's huge. First night defeat against Argentina put them right on the back foot. Yeah. And they didn't have a bad team that year and they should have done better than they did. But, you know, they were fighting They were fighting it all the way after that. And the, the country didn't quite get behind them like they wanted. I mean, this team is much more loved and revered than that 2017. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, France, they'll, they'll both be eyeballs out, obviously. But as you say, And also, Bren, if things go wrong for them, they're not going to be playing a quarterfinal in Cardiff. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean they this, produced their best performance in Cardiff. Well, in, indeed, but this, this is all in France. So I think yeah. I think that the the sort of French movement behind the team, the general public movement behind the team, will be much with much intensified by the fact that everything's in a single venue, which yeah. I think is is a great value to World Cups. I, th I think that the one of the things is it it, it all depends. I mean, it, it, a game of rugby. Um, how you carry on, how you go on from it, all depends what you take out of the game. Now, if the game between France and New Zealand is a humdinger and it's very, very close and there's nothing in it, both teams play out of their skin, then the loser's not going to be massively inhibited. But if one of these teams comes a cropper in the opener, that will make a difference. Of that, yeah. I'm sure. So, you know, that's... Uh, I, I'm not because of the strength of these two teams, and we know what they know what quarterfinalists they face, whether they win this game or not. I think it would have to be a complete disaster. I mean, I'm talking about a 30 point margin of victory from either side for it to be a disaster mm. for each of these teams. Which, yeah, let's be honest, it it it, it won't be, and it it's un, it is un, it's very unlikely to be. Um, if France do get beaten by maybe 10, 15, there'll be some doubt. But by the time that quarterfinal comes, it'll be forgotten because they would have whooped every other side in their pool. 
Um, and I think then we'd come to that quarterfinal and they'd play um, South Africa or Ireland. And then it's, you know, the, 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 the level goes back up because they would have had three victories and the mm. team and that, sorry, the country will be behind them. But uh, yeah, mentally, oh. if it came to the final, then yeah, that, that might still resonate with them. I Are mean, we assuming that the Scots don't get out of that group? I am. <laughs> uh, not not for any other reason because of the talent. Look, I've I I I, I like Scotland. I I do. I like what they've done in these uh, the summer. The 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 summer the summer games. Um, but it 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 would uh, it wouldn't be a miracle if they got out. It would be yes, actually, it would. It would. I mean, South Africa are brutal up front, and Ireland are clinical. And I, I know there's been some history of you know, that Ireland and Scotland playing together and Ireland not doing very well in World Cups. But I just think this Irish side, you, we, we, yeah, it's been a long time since I've played and professionalism has, has, has changed this game dramatically, not just on what, the, what we see on the field, but mentally how these players prepare and, and what history means to these players. Um, I always used to think, I remember going to Wales and England hadn't won for, I don't know, 30 years. Well, I hadn't been going to Cardiff and losing for 30 years. So it meant nothing to me. I was playing for a really good England side against Wales in Cardiff and I expected to win. And we did. Uh, and we had quite a few new players and they felt exactly the same. This Irish side is playing blimmin' well. And you know, they, they, like this, this Irish team should be. We're 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 getting to a World Cup final. Scotland, Scotland have to play two unbelievable games at their very best, error-free, kicking every single penalty. They have to do everything right in those two games to win because Ireland are so good. South Africa, you could there could be a little. You, you might get a sniff from South Africa because they might just might not be up for it, but they generally, you know, that someone somewhere in that side does something good and, and they'll win the game. It's normally Scotland that does something bad to allow a side to win. But, I, you know, Scotland are up against it. But if they play well, like we've seen recently, they will give both those sides a blooming good game. So I asked this same question to Duncan Hodge, who was our guest last week. Um, if Scotland were to make it through, from what I'm hearing, you think it'll be ahead of South Africa, not ahead of Ireland? I, you know, Ireland, yes, in, in, in a short word. I, I just think Ireland are, Ireland are too, for me, too well organised. They, they just, they know absolutely everything they're doing when they're doing it. And they have a very inspirational coach um, who gets them mentally, understands them really deeply. He understands the game of rugby, although he comes from rugby league. He's really got into this game of rugby union. He's got into the heads of the Irish, and they totally believe in him, and he believes in them. It's it's a it's a brilliant unity that I think uh, strengthens them even more. That's enough about Mike Cat. What about Andy Farrell, Jerry? <laughs> 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 well, in fairness to Catty, you know, under Schmidt, it was very 
harnessed you know that it, it was it was um very uh methodical mechanical abc doctor dot rugby it was still clinical uh and it got them to number one in the world but it just didn't give them the freedom you know they could i'm sure they could see positions in the rugby on, on the rugby pitch where you know i'd love to have a go on my own but i can't move away from this this format of playing because mm. if it doesn't work I, you know schmidt will leave me out and i don't want to be out of this team because it's too good uh, but now I think Farrell gives them the voice that Schmidt didn't allows them to have a say. Won't disagree with it. Won't dismiss. Won't immediately dismiss it and bat it away. And I think Catty's been part of that. You know, he's gone in there. You know, Sexton uh, comes across as not the easiest person to change the mind of. But you you see the way that they played the last few seasons with Farrell now coming in as number one, and and for me. The back line, the, the attack, which is he's in charge of, the whole attack. You see some of their moves, some of the directions, some of the smoke and mirrors. I mean, it's brilliant. And Catty, Catty's part of that, and he can be proud of what he's done with that team. Yeah. Isn't it fantastic to see? And, and, and you wouldn't necessarily... I mean, Ireland have had decent wings down the years. Um, 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 Simon Gagan was, was a bit of a one-off, um, and of course you would have—I guess you would have played with him at Bath, Jerry. Um, but it's fantastic to see a little bit like Penno in France, who I absolutely love watching. That Mac Hansen is who was the most anonymous of the Irish starting lineup a year ago. Is just making—it's just making a fantastic mark by doing things a little bit different within the within the structure they use. But he does seem to have some ideas of his own and some instincts that he's willing to back. And he's become a real difference maker for them. Yeah, he's a bit of a hero. I still think he's got a big mistake in him. <laughs> I just think he's that loose. He could do something really crazy and lose them again. Is that... I mean, the guy is hes a cult hero. I mean, he's an, an Aussie in Ireland. They all absolutely love and adopt. Uh, and, and, you know, bring him into home. Have dinner with the family. We love you. He could do something really crazy and totally mess it all up. You know, it's unlikely, but that's the way, you know, Campisi in 89 on the Lions tour doing something nutty. I, he could do the same thing, but I think this structure possibly doesn't allow it. But you know his mentality is to do something slightly different sometimes. And, you know, even... Um, who's on the other wing? James Lowe. James Lowe, he's a bit the same, isn't he? Yeah, I think he is. He can be loose. Some, you know, we he scores tries now. I mean, his first couple of games for Ireland, you thought, mate, you, I don't think you're going to last long. Um, but Farrell's brought something out of him. He's got a lovely left peg that can relieve 60, 70 meters, but that left peg can also only slide off and give you 10 meters. Um, at the moment, it's working well. But those both those wingers have have the ability to do something really crazy. What a pool. What a pool. A real pool of hell. I mean, I I, um, I remember uh, the pod we had with Willie Anderson where he talked about his concerns about Ireland's method rugby and how it left them vulnerable to a really uh, quick-fire attacking side that would uh, take the ball wide quickly because they're all sort of looking for the, you know, the next playbook um, move 
And um, I think that Scotland's defence, which has been or was very poor, has now really firmed up. And I think that they're a team that could give Ireland real problems. Um, I think they could give South Africa real problems, but I think that they, they'll they struggle to just match South Africa's power up, up front. Um, and as we all know, that's, um, you know, that's that, that if you don't do that, then you're uh, you're, you're in trouble. And I think uh, people aren't smart enough against the the South Africans. As the we we saw as much as we saw South Africa demolish New Zealand at Twickenham, we saw for me anyway New Zealand demolish South Africa in the championship, particularly in the first twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, where their rugby was almost error free, and they played they played. South Africa in in the gaps that they left rather than head on, mm. and every time they, they it got a little bit loose. So New Zealand were in their element. So you you've really got to have a game plan and you have to execute it well against these top teams. Now Ireland have done it. How many times have they done it against New Zealand in their last five occasions? Probably four. Four of the, four um, of the last six they've won. Yeah, so they they've got the template to be. New Zealand. They know what to do to beat New Zealand. It's in there. They know how to beat South Africa because they've done it regularly. Scotland haven't reached this this stage yet. And maybe this might be the platform <laughs> that they do it. But Scotland, for me, haven't played with enough intelligence or, or consistency to warrant a, yeah, this side could beat Ireland at the moment and could beat South Africa. I've said, I've said yes, they, they could. But the likelihood is they won't. I mean, you know, the hard decisions for any of us to make is who's going to win that, you know, those quarterfinals. Uh, you know, we've already, took, you know, the first game, who's going to win? Well, it's not so important who does. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I've, I, we've, I, for me, I've said Scotland play um, South Africa and Ireland and, and, and I'm really looking forward to it and I hope they play well. But if I had to bet, they, they lose both those games. But they're a good side. Nick, Nick sp- spoke just now about um, about the South African forward power, which is, of course, undeniable. You, you don't need to be Carwin James to work out them as powerful, if not more powerful than everyone else, <laughs> more powerful than some put together. But if they're going to go 7-1 on the bench, which is an interesting one, don't you just go out and stand on a couple of backs at some point? I mean, where's Chilcott when you need him? <laughs> <laughs> well... You know, yeah. I love Cooch, but you know, Cooch won't survive with uh, thirty cameras on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> but but you, but you know what I mean? I mean that that is a very high risk strategy, isn't it? I, I mean, was I that just a one off? Do we think that was a one off? They say it's a one off, no, don't they? They, they had an injury just before the match started, and but I don't know. Is it that much? Is it is it that much different from six two seven one? You've got Quagga Smith who can go out in the back. He's a sevens player if they wanted to. It just shows their mentality to me. That just there's a very thought that they are thinking of a seven-one. They, but they probably won't use it. But the very he fact got that the worst nose since Mike Tindall, where, doesn't he? Shows where they come from, doesn't it? You know, that's them. Quagga mm. Smith has the worst nose since Tindall. But since Tindall's been in the royal family, of course, he can afford to get his fixed. But Quagga, yeah. <laughs> if nothing else, is a hero because of his nose. He's a, he's a good. I think he's a good player. He's a, a, he's, a, he's a hero for you. 
<laughs> you lead I think South name. Africa South Africa play Route 1 rugby nothing changes uh, they are do you know what they are brutally fantastic because as much as you know what's coming it's really hard to negate it um, South, New Zealand have shown the way Argentina have, have uh, Argentina beaten South Africa they would have surely they have been. Not um, this year, but they have in the past, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when Argentina are at their best, their forwards are brutal, their backs are more imaginative. If if South Africa were ever, ever allowed to play... Actually, no, that's not strictly true. Um, but if the backs were ever in collaboration with the forwards, <laughs> they'd be an amazing team. Because, you know, I remember the World Cup final... Um, back line just just about like Faf Pollard, uh, Delonde, uh, Am, Mapimpi, Colby, and Larue. And at the time, you tell me a better back line in the world. It, it was it's just magical, and it it's not too far off now. It is slightly. I mean, Pollard is their for me is their biggest loss, and H- Pollard could be the difference. For them winning or losing this World Cup, that's how highly I I think of him. He, he's he's a he's experienced, he's sensible there. Yeah, he can lose it a bit, but his kicking is reasonably good. I know Brenny probably has some statistics on him, but I I just thought he was some glue and some sensibility, and I, I he was a real strength for South Africa, and I think they're really going to miss him in this World Cup. I think the loss of Lacanio Am has been, um, what's the word, mitigated as well, Jerry, by the emergence of Kane and Moody. What do you think of him? Yeah, not seen enough. He, he, he look, you know, he doesn't fit the South African mode necessarily uh, because he's skillful and wants to have a run with the ball and generally wants to run away from players and through them. Um, I think that's a new thing for for a South African back. Well, apart from the root, he just doesn't want any contact if he can help it. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, I, I, we all love to see talent. We all like to see new players coming through, players that will take on players, want to score tries, uh, that are exciting, uh, that will make people that haven't been watching rugby watch rugby. Um, so, yeah, good, good, good luck to him. But, I mean, I mean, I don't think his voice is going to shout loud enough for South Africa to change the way they play. Just while we're on the subject of that, Paul, um, just one stat for everyone. I don't know if you saw that. Um, and for an Ireland training session, open training session, 12,000 people showed up to watch in Tour. 12,000, that's more than a Gallagher Prem game gets, which is fairly outrageous. They were all Irish. <laughs> <laughs> they get everywhere. You, can't move. you cannot move for them. Um, doesn't that show what, what French rugby... Uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the crowd it, it's all about you know they've got where are France uh, Ireland are, are they ranked number one Ireland. yeah still ranked one yeah yeah so you're ranked number one uh, and come on the, the, the Irish sorry the French have been there or thereabouts for the last couple of seasons and Ireland have beaten them and so the, this French the French supporters want to see what where's the magic what, why are these guys so good so so why not you know, if Ireland were training uh, up at Walcott, Chris, 
<laughs> I, well, that would be, be, be a first for anyone. <laughs> I think, you know, if, if New Zealand, South Africa, Ireland, France were, were within, were, were training in, in our village or in our city, I'd go and watch them. And, and, and 12,000 people does not surprise me in the slightest. And it's brilliant. And it just says so much about them and what we're about to watch. Yeah. And says so much about the passion. I mean, I know a lot of them would have been Irish, but a lot of them would have been French, like you say, Jerry. The passion of the French fans as well. I don't know. You know, you'd go and watch an Irish side in an open training session. I'm not sure how many people in England currently would. So, yeah, it seems hopefully it's infectious. Um, I want to open a rose-coloured door now. I'm going to do this in reverse order. Usually, Jerry, you're our guest on behalf of England, of course. In the past few weeks, we've done a sort of series where we've had guests on behalf of each nation. And I've always finished by asking where the respective nation is getting to. But I'm going to start by asking you where England are getting to in the World Cup. They could quite easily get to the semi-final. That's the crazy side to this World Cup and the crazy side to the draw. There is, they have every opportunity to get there. Um, the, the, the worry for me is they, their, their, their big game is probably going to be Samoa. I, I, if they beat Argentina, we know, we know they're going to make the quarterfinal. If they don't, it's how tough are they mentally to get themselves up for this Samoa game and Chile a bit beatable. Japan aren't as good as they were uh, when they hosted the tournament, but Samoa will come with some heat and, and knowing that they've got an opportunity, which makes it even more of a dangerous game. Um, so if they lose to Argentina, which there is every chance, I mean, there's a big chance they lose to Argentina. They did at Tottenham last year. Um, and I haven't seen anything that makes me believe that Argentina have got any less chance of beating them. If anything, if I look at the way the games have been played, I think England lose. And then I think, why they, they've got to, they, they've got to beat uh, Samoa, which I, I believe they will. Then they get to a quarter final. I would rather England play Wales than Australia. Because I, th- I think they beat Wales against Australia. I think they're underdogs, and I, p- I probably think an, an Australia side beats England in a quarter final. So that that's the you know I know they can get to a semi final. They definitely don't win it. You know the, the other four sides are too good, but they've got every chance of getting to a, a semi final. I I think it's unlikely. I think they get to a quarter final. If it's Wales they face in the quarterfinal, they make the semi. If it's Australia, I think they lose. And on balance, you've said that, that you think they'll lose to us uh, to Argentina this weekend. I think that I think they will. I think they will lose to Argentina uh, unless there's some massive injuries in that Argentina, that Puma team that I don't know about. Selection. We don't have selection for Argentina yet. Um, let's touch upon that briefly. But there's a lot of chat. Tom Curry is fit again, fit to be selected. Uh, there's talk about Freddie Stewart and Marcus Smith, that debate. Jerry, you've always been a singer of Freddie Stewart's praises um, on the Rugby Paper podcast. I wondered what you made of him coming under fire over his lack of speed, his 
defensive reads and things like that? Uh, why? Yeah, I, it wasn't. So, it was maybe four seasons ago. I, I said Elliot Daly was the best, most talented Northern Hemisphere three-quarter that I had seen in a long, long time, um, and somebody knocked that out of him. Um, I don't know who, and I don't know why he went off the boil. Maybe a couple of injuries, a bit of self-doubt, um, but it, it it all started to go wrong from him. Playing him at fullback was was no help. Just you know, there, there's no way his confidence was coming. Uh, from playing there, but uh, Freddie Stewart again. The, what what I see is players just not saying, "Look, this is the way I want to play," or "Give me the ball and let me show you what I can do." I think that at the moment they're all part of this ideal of playing rugby, but I, they're just not on the same page. They're in a position, I think, England at the moment where if you ask them genuinely how they'd like to play. I think you probably get 10 different answers, which is a disaster, an absolute disaster. This side doesn't know how they want to play. I think they're being told how to play, and I don't think they necessarily agree with it. And when it's when you watch it on the pitch, they go through a few phases and you think it goes wrong and they don't know where to go. They they have to, you know, it's rugby by rope, which is unbelievable. It's just it, it, it's not proper. Uh, Stewart has just become part of this. What what, it, what is average? You know, he, even he's being brought into this team that is making mistake error. It's it is a it's a calamity. And you know, the more they hear stuff like this, the more they're going to say, "Oh, our backs are against the walls. We've got to come out of this." It's not as easy as that, lads. You you you. <laughs> You've, you've, you've got to grab hold of it yourselves. You've literally got, someone's got to turn around to their coaches and say, look, we're doing it wrong. This is how we got to do it. And at the moment, there doesn't seem to be a strong enough voice that disagrees with what's going on. It seems like Farrell agrees with Borthwick. Farrell is like the chosen one by the, by the team and they follow him. And at the moment, where they're going is in the wrong direction. And I would. I hope. I hope they prove me wrong, and I hope they play some unbelievable rugby. I hope they get to the quarterfinal. They might play Australia. I hope they blow them out of the water in the quarterfinal. Get to the semi-final. Play one of those top four sides, and away they go. But is it going to happen? Very unlikely. What do you make of Smith at fifteen? I just don't. It's as bad an error as putting Elliot Daly there. Don't play players in positions in internationals where they don't even play for their club. I mean, it's a recipe disaster. Uh, you know, I fancy his chances at 58 at chasing a ball and, and catching it before Smith does. I think I could probably jump higher than him and knock him out of the way legally. <laughs> um, but I said, you know, just don't don't play these players out, out of position. I think Stewart. Stewart is a good enough player to find his form quickly enough. It's just England as a whole have got to find themselves. They, England have to find themselves, not these individual players. England as a team have to find their identity and find it quickly because at the moment their identity is, is a shambles. How much, how, much, how much of a footballer do you think Stewart is, Jerry? Is, is, is he more of a Chris Martin than he is a Matt Perry? Like uh, yeah, Chris, Chris Martin, Chris I mean, Martin not the bloke is... who plays for, who sings for Coldplay, 
yeah. Um, I say Freddie Stewart can read a game well enough for me to believe he 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 was uh, 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 until these last few games and the few before that he was one of England's best players every time he played a bit like Atoji used to be when he first started. Something's happened that's that's made him lack confidence. And I don't know what it is, but to answer your question, yes, I think we've seen him come into certain positions close to the try line, make himself available, carry the ball, score tries, carry the ball, pass, assist in tries. He's been unbeatable at times in the air. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely, absolutely has commanded the air. Uh, so much so, they've almost tried to do a damn bigger with him at one stage, moving him closer so that he actually chases kicks. Uh, and tries to win them, which again, don't, don't get him doing that. It's against it's against what he normally does. It is club. Um, you know, you got centres supposed to be doing that. Um, but yeah, I, he can find his game. But he's playing in a, he's playing in a very poor side. To find your game in a poor team is blooming difficult. I think one of the pro- troubles with him is that his super strength. Yeah under the high ball, teams have noticed that and they, they don't put the high ball up anymore. I mean, he was done like a kipper um, with the sort of kick pass against Wales and Fiji, left really, really slow on the turn. Uh, and that is his big problem. The one that really alarmed me was when France destroyed, you know, pretty poor England in the Six Nations. And he seemed to be, you know, running in mud compared with those French backs. And you suddenly realise what a lack of pace he has if he's exposed. And I think teams are now looking to move him from touchline to touchline. They're not going to put the bombs up. He's not going to have a bomb in the whole World Cup unless it's bad weather. Why would you do that? You know, why would you give I him a chance? I think, Brenny, I wouldn't totally blame him for that because he is, you know, he is quite young. He's quite new. You know, he hasn't got 20 caps yet, I don't think. Um he hasn't had a lot of competition. He came in first off and was amazing. It was brilliant and wasn't exposed, as you quite rightly said. But that is a back three challenge. It is a pendant. Yes, he's not quick at turning. Yes, he's not quite found his ideal place yet. But that, you know, that for me is that's the fullback. The fullback's job is to almost position himself to say, I dare you to kick it there. Not not these guys. Look, DuPont made a couple of kicks at not even God could have kicked. You know, it, it was just unbelievable, some of his kicking. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, 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 with your position, you, you're in the back three, you're, you're daring a team to come at you. And so you, your defence is laid out in, in a way that, you know, I'm daring you to come here. I'm daring you to go there. Kick the ball there, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. So, you know, the big phrase... And the call we hear in commentary is, is let's find the ball needs to find grass. And you're right, Freddie's not very quick at finding it, finding that ball on the grass. But that shouldn't be, he shouldn't be exposed as much as he is, unless it's the perfect kick, which can be delivered. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't give him too much time. He never knows which wing he's playing with. England don't seem to know who their first choice. So you don't get a chance to build up that. Yeah that pendulum and that back-free relationship. I agree. It's typical knee-jerk English nonsense, this. You know, you get a player, a young player come through who, as you say, has got um, a real 
you know, unique strength in the air. But he also shows that when he comes into the line, some of the tries that he scored early on were extremely good. And they showed that actually he's got enough toe in attack to be very difficult to stop, particularly close to the line. Um, I, I think that the idea of playing Marcus Smith at fullback is nuts because that is when you do get the high ball raining raining down on you for for absolute certain. I just, you know, the idea, as, as, as has been said, Jerry said, of playing a bloke who played fly half almost exclusively at fullback where he hasn't played is just mad going into a, a World Cup. Similarly, to parachute Tom Curry back into the side after months out injured and quite possibly play him at number eight, which was already found to not work, is just, it, it's it's mind-boggling. And it shows you the disarray that they're in, that they're considering this sort of stuff. There isn't um, a settled unit in the side. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, at the end of a World Cup cycle... I know things have happened. I mean, but things happen to every country in a World Cup cycle. And it's four years long. Nothing stands still for four years. But to go into a World Cup with not a single settled unit right. is extraordinary. extraordinary. Back three, we don't I, know. Centres, we don't I, know. Half-backs, we don't know. But but if you if you could get these players, so I'm just looking at the squad. Now, I, I, I do like uh, the scrum half... Um, uh, I'd put the new kid in, Mitchell. Alex Mitchell. Yeah. Um, I'd have I, I I would have Farrell at uh, at uh, ten. I have a slight dilemma because Marchant's been playing so well, but I do like Lawrence and Tuolangi. But I'd probably go with because of form because I don't think Manny's played well enough, consistently enough in the in the near in the near past. To really warrant a place, so I'd probably go Lawrence and and Marchant, and I like Malins and um, is Watson out now? Yeah, yeah. he's gone. Johnny Mazing. Um, so I put Aaron, Arundel, Arundel on one wing, and I put Stewart on 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 uh, yeah, fullback. Now that pack can give him enough ball. And they don't make too many errors. I think they're a decent team, but I just think they're playing. They're playing to orders is the wrong way. They 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 have they they know what they're doing. So right, believe it or not, <laughs> England do know what they're doing. They just can't execute it. So there there is a pattern. There is a there is a shape. There is you know they know what they do. They will know that they're no different than any other side. If there's a scrum. On the 10-yard line, on 15 metres in, and you're playing left to right, they will know what the call is. Every single member of that team will know what the call is. The problem with England at the moment is that they, they so there will be three phases or four phases of play from that one scrum. They're making too many errors for them to even get to the fourth phase that's being called. So then they lose their shape. They panic a little bit. And guess what? They kick it. But they don't know where they kick it. They don't know how to make it competitive. And they don't think quickly enough to put it into space. 
Um, Smith Smith at fullback would be, I've said, it'd be as bad as putting Elliot there. The only person who's skillful enough, who, who, who doesn't play there regularly to play fullback is Bowden Barrett. And, you know, that guy's not short. Bowden is probably 6'1", 6'2", whereas Smith is is under that. And Bowden played in a side that was you know, much better than England and protected him much better than, than England would protect Smith. No, I'm not a... quite sure what England have got in mind for Henry Arundel, to be honest. He played all his rugby at fullback coming up through the system. He scored that wonder try against Toulon, playing as a London Irish fullback. And then suddenly, a year ago, Eddie decides he's a wing, and he now he now seems to be embedded that he has to play on the wing. But I would have thought, if you're looking for an alternative at fullback, why not at least tr- have tried? It's too late now, but at least tried somebody who did play fullback for you know throughout his career short as it is up until this point you know i mean look i i think last season he played pretty well exclusively on the wing tom parsons was the uh, was the irish he didn't play much at all last season did he he was injured most of the well, time well that's right but i mean that that's the the direction of travel that they were going with him mm. I, i'm l- listen he's an international novice He's he's starting out. I think that wing is a good is a good place for him to start out with the skill set that he's got, um, and possibly you know he challenges Stewart later down the line. Um, yeah, I, I I think that England. If you look at the warm ups, I mean, I'm just listening to the stuff coming out of the camp in in La Touque and the attempt to sort of um, put a positive uh, spin on it all. The thing about it is, is that what we're left with all the time is we're left with what with what we've been looking at in their warm-ups. Now, I think that these warm-ups, in a way, I think I've been dismissive of them in the past. Um, But actually, when you go through it and you look at how teams go in these warm-ups, they're very often a pretty good guide of how they're going to go in the, um, you know, when it comes to the competition. You look at England and their, how they beat Ireland going into the 2019 World Cup and so on and so forth. They had headwind. This time around, there's no headwind at all. They're as flat as they could possibly be. And the idea, I mean, I, I get the idea that you 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 have real emotional intensity going into a game, possibly for the first time, you know, since the Six Nations or whatever. But look at what happened to them in the Six Nations, you know. I just don't believe that they're in the right place. Um, as a team, I don't think that they're joined up anywhere. I don't think that the pack is a good, is a good England pack. I do think that there is an anomaly in this because they do have a lot of good individual players, but they don't have any real pattern at all. They don't know what game they want to play. Well, actually, they do. They do know what game they want to play, which is basically box kick and hope for the best. There's nothing. There's nothing to to sort of broaden it out on the on the sort of emotional spectrum. The whole thing just seems so miserable. I mean, I know, I know, Steve Bordwick is not Eric Morgan, is he? I mean, he is not one of life's natural comedians. That's fine. But so, I mean, you say that about a bunch of other. England coaches, you know, I don't, I don't remember Jeff Cook slaying everyone with his fantastic line in wit and repartee. Um, you know, Jack Rowell could be funny, but the only person who thought Jack Rowell was funny was Jack. 
possibly. Um, it's There's nothing light about I know results haven't been good, but I like the bloody Labour Party. And as you know, I like the Labour Party, but there's no sort of optus, no sense of optimism coming out of the camp. You just get you just get an Owen Farrell. Oh well, you know I've get I've got a really good feeling about this World Cup. Or Borthers saying, oh the the lads think that the press have written them off too early and all this kind of thing. Crack a joke somewhere, just lighten the mood. No, it's really it's really difficult anyway. So lighten it's difficult. The mood. It's it's difficult to do, Chris, because of the attention and the focus and the questions keep coming and coming and coming, and I. I was fortunate that I didn't play for many poor teams. So I didn't get that constant, when are you going to get a win? When are you going to start playing well? Who's leading? Why aren't you doing this? And it, it's just constant. And the only way you can answer it is by winning. And until they win, they won't get the questions that they, won't, uh, that they want. And that the real challenge is, is finding that spark. Now, in very general terms, there's not one player in that team that is playing exceptionally well or or well. Um, you know, Wales have this same problem. Where, where is it? Well, actually, bigger when fit is is consistently decent. Now, that guy has the ability to put... He's just one of those guys who plays well. You know, his worst game, seven out of ten. He just is that good for me, I feel anyway. Um, you know, Owen, as we've already seen, has this ability to do the wrong thing at the wrong time and cause a lot of problems for his team. Um, Atoji, Atoji was a nine out of ten, nearly every single, every single game he played for England. You know, he's struggling to get to five. Five. Um, you know, where, where's it? Where's it gone for a player of that? You know, that He's guy. He's got in a big way, hasn't he? That guy challenged the best second rows. You know, and we've had a talent full of second rows in world rugby: the South Africans, the the Irish, and uh, the French, uh, the, the the Kiwis, and and Atoji was right, right up there. You know, he for for for, for two or three seasons, that guy was in a world fifteen. Sure. Now he, you know, he couldn't get in a ballet dancing blooming world fifteen. He he is really struggling, and you know, I think if you find out what his problem is, I think you find out a lot of what's going on, what's going wrong with England. Well, I guess we've had an insight into that um, to a degree uh, with uh, Danny Cipri's, Cipriani's uh, latest <laughs> uh, revelations and. Um, you know, I mean, I, I was on that tour in 2018 to South Africa where he, you know, he pulled the rabbit out of the hat in Cape Town and the body language from Ben Youngs um, and Owen Farrell um, in that game towards him was, you know, it, it, it spoke a thousand words, you know, they didn't want him in there. And Eddie Jones bought into that. And maybe it was too late for Cipriani even at that stage, but he still seemed seemed to me to have, you know, that that ability to, as he talks about, to to see the game as it unfolds and to react accordingly. And we've gone to a pattern of rugby with England, which is by rote. 
Um, and it's not working. It worked for Borthwick in one season at Leicester. And it's not working with England. It's international rugby. It's a different level. Um, and even in the year that uh, that Leicester won the Premiership, they uh, they lost in the quarterfinals, I think, of the European Cup. So it gives you a, a, um, a, a an idea of level. And it also gives you an idea of whether England are suited, actually suited to that style of play. Now, if they had a pack like the Springboks, you might say, OK, stick it up in the air, chase and go from there. But they don't. The England pack is not a pack which, frankly, frightens anybody on the international stage now. That includes Fiji and it will include Samoa. And it will certainly include Argentina. I mean, if you look at that Argentine back row of Marcus Kramer, Matera and Gonzalez, that's one of the best back rows in that tournament without a shadow. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And um, I just, you know, I, I, I worry because Tom Curry's a fine player. Jack Willis is, a, a, I think, a very good player. But these guys, there's no pattern to that English back row. You know, I was thinking, I, I was I I thought during the week, I thought Billy Vunapola. Billy Vunapola's now been an international player for you know the best part of eight eight years or so, something like that. And during that same period, the guy who's just gone to Ulster from Exeter, Dave Ewers, has been ignored basically internationally. Now, Ewers, if you were looking, if you wanted a number eight, who was going to truck it up and be effective in that sort of hard yards game line game. The ideal bloke to do it and to have in competition with Billy Vunapola would have been Dave Ewers. And yet this guy has just, he, he's been off, he's been off our, he's been off the, the test radar. Jones didn't care for him. You know, um, Borthwick clearly, clearly doesn't. But the number of players we overlook, we waste, is unbelievable. And the inability to actually work out templates that suit the players that you've got. One of the many things I agreed with Danny on um, was the staleness in the England team. He, he talked about a, a mafia in 2015 of uh, Youngs, Farrell, Ford. Uh, I think you mentioned Dan Cole, actually. It's still sort of Groundhog Day, isn't it, eight years on? You still feel that England haven't progressed in any way beyond that, haven't got the options, at least the options, of, of playing a different game and having different players running that game. What so you have to be quite genuine and, and, and honest. Sorry, to, to, you have to be genuine and honest here. The, the, the talent pool is low uh, and, and shallow for England at the moment. Uh, and player for player, they're not as good as those top four teams in in, in the world. Uh, and you have to accept that. When Billy Vanapolo, if it was eight seasons he's played, the first four seasons, he was brilliant. He, he was a man who carried the ball, very destructive. Um, you know, in, England's run to the 2019 uh, World Cup, I think they had one really bad season, but the other seasons were relatively good. Um, and then we've got from 2019, England have got progressively worse. Sorry, from the World Cup semi-final 
England have never been that good again. They've not come close to being that good again. That's a big worry. The big worry is the development of our game. So the pathway, where I, where is the young talent? And why isn't it coming through quick enough to challenge these players who at the moment are playing in a very ordinary way? I've you know, said constantly in a, in, a, in a column, these players aren't being challenged. You know, Don Brank, God bless him, he was insignificant in these games that he was playing for England. You know, Henry Slade, I, I love him as a club player. I love Don Brandt as a club player, but these guys have come onto the international scene and hardly had an impact. If they, if you didn't hear their name, you wouldn't know they were playing. Uh, and, and so the, the problem for England is, is much bigger. You know, there, there should be a massive clear out after, which is another podcast. There should be a massive clear out after this World Cup, but try and make the most of what they've got now. And the most is unbelievably they could make a semi-final. Um, the worst, I don't think, will happen. I think they will get out of the group. I, I, I'd be amazed if they didn't get out of the group. But they, I think they get to a quarter-final with an average team. And after that, there's got to be a lot of changes. You know, when you lose, when Farrell's no longer in the squad and uh, Young's no longer in the squad, Danny Kerr seems like a nice breath breath of fresh air. He still seems to speak his mind. I'm not sure if he does in the squad saying how we would prefer to play because we know how we'd like to play. Uh, what Danny Cipriani said, you, you now see, you know, there was, there was some truth there. Players players have to speak up. I remember the day you, you were picked by your national team to play the way you did. You got selected because of the way you played for your club. You didn't then get put into the England team and be told to play a different way, which seems to be happening now. You look at the Kiwis, the Kiwis play exactly the same way for the provincial teams as they do for their national team. So do the French, so do the South Africans, um, and so do the Irish. There's no change in their positions, what they do, how they play, what they look like, and the damage they do on the field. With England, it looks like, you know, I, I, my biggest thing is I cannot believe how much Atoji has changed. The guy used to have three or four turnovers in a game. He'd have four or five destructive runnings, carries with the ball. He'd dominate the line out. He'd come from nowhere and carry a ball. And I, I, I sometimes, I know he's picked in every single game. Most of the time, I don't even know he's playing. And, and, and I'd love to know why. And I've, I've, I've said before, there's a bigger, there's a bigger problem in that England dynamic. The setup of the RFU, the the pathway for, for talent is. There's a blockage, and, and players aren't saying enough and being honest enough. They're just playing so a, and happy to play as as they're being told. So here's a question for you, Jerry, because none of us have been able to solve uh, this particular mystery. You talk about England are in a place where, for this World Cup, they've got to make the most of what they have. Completely agree. Zach Mercer, who is. <laughs> the player of the season in the top 14 and has won a title with Montpellier. He's the fans hero over there. He comes back. He's available for England. He looked a bloody good player when he was playing at Bath. He's now got significantly more in terms of physicality. He's played in a very, very tough environment, which is not irrelevant to what's going to be happening in this World Cup in the country where he's just been playing. 
He's got the skill set. I'm not saying he's as good as, but he has the skill set of a number of an all black number eight. He's that style of player. Everyone seems to think he's the bee's knees. They don't even give him a look. He's in the squad. He's out before his feet has touched the ground. Now, either he said something that Borthwick and the rest of the coaches really didn't like, but that's not come out. Leaving that aside, why wouldn't you have at least have looked at him? I, I understand. And I think he was interviewed in one of the newspapers saying they had a disagreement in how, how to play. And that makes well, you absolutely sense. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> we were more of the team. We were more of a team Fair enough. saying it. We weren't individuals coming into a, uh, a well-established setup uh, and a manager, a head coach um, who was, this is the way we're going to play and I'm, I'm really not going to listen to anything else. Uh, and I, that's as I understand it. They had a disagreement on how a number eight should play. That, that's it. And I could be completely wrong, but it makes a lot of sense that this guy has stood up and said, you know, no, I, I, I want to be doing this because this is what I'm good at. I don't want to be doing that because I'm not so good at that. Uh, but, you know, it, it is, it, I, I totally agree with you, Chris, that to, to, to see a guy who was player of the season in, in, an, in an unbelievably tough environment and still see him play well last season, come here, he couldn't have been that unfit. Um, and would have got fitter towards the World Cup, but he's he's on what we've seen on what we see in form. He's good enough to play for it. He is plenty good enough for England. So I believe I believe in what I read that there was a disagreement in how they wanted to play. It, it makes total sense. I think the time has come where we get everyone's predictions. Um, Jerry, just player of the tournament, one to watch for the tournament. So maybe a young up and comer. Shock of the tournament and a tournament winner. My player that my player of the tournament will be uh, Will Jordan, the New Zealand winger, uh, and my one to watch will be uh, Kanan Moody from South Africa. I think he's uh, an exceptional talent, and I hope he gets enough ball to to show it. Yeah, yeah, I think he was going to be mine as well. The shock, the shock of the tournament will be Fiji beat Wales. The tournament winner will be France. Okay. One for France. Uh, Nick, we'll go to you next. Right. Okay. Jerry just spiked me on Kane and Moody. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, player of the tournament. I'm going to say um, Mathieu Jalibert. Um, and I'm going to say it because he, you know, obviously, and Tamak, the huge loss for France. But it's an interesting, it's a stat, um, which I think is is revealing, possibly says a lot about Dupont. Um, almost certainly it does that, but they've played together, I think, eight times and they've won uh, seven of those games, I think. Um, and Jalibert was actually in pole position for a time ahead of Ntamak. I think he's, um, I, I think that he's, they're, they're very fortunate they've got two fantastic fly halves. And I think that Jalibert could easily be the man of the tournament. Um, you know, he could, he, 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 he could dovetail brilliantly with Dupont um, so that in a way that they don't miss in Tamak. So uh, that would be mine. Um, one to watch. Well, look, I mean, I, I'm intrigued by what happens uh, outside France and New Zealand in that pool. 
And I'm conscious of the fact that Italy um, really uh, picked up big time in the Six Nations. Uh, so I'll say one to watch in the tournament again would be Capuozzo. Then uh, overall, is it uh, shock of the tournament? Shock of the tournament, yeah. Uh, I'd say uh, Scotland to beat Ireland. Oh. Um, and a uh, <laughs> could could live to regret some of these. <laughs> <laughs> a winner, Portugal. No, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> I'd say uh, winner France. Two for France. Chris, we'll come to you next. We'll give Brenda's internet still a bit more of a chance to reset. Player of the tournament. Geordie Barrett. Because I because I think as partly just personal preference as a lot of these things often are, but I think he's the all-round game that he can bring to a position which is incredibly difficult to fill and has been for quite a while. Uh, I think that he is something close to my vision of an ideal 12 insofar as he's big enough to get you through the traffic. He has a kicking game. He has a playmaker's instincts. He has a passing. He has a passing game long and short. Uh, and he also bangs over three points from unlikely parts of the field. I think he may be worth his weight in gold as the thing unfolds. And he made all his mistakes for the season against South Africa. So he will now be blemish-free for the entire tournament. One to watch? Jack Morgan. I think um, I think if Wales are going to land any blows during this World Cup, I think Jack Morgan will be instrumental in landing them. I think he's been absolutely outstanding for Wales in very difficult circumstances. And if he stays fit and he just has a little bit of help and support, I think he'll be very eye-catching through the, through, through the competition. Shock of the tournament? Uh, Wales to beat Portugal. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't... I... I didn't... Um, I didn't... I didn't say that. Uh, I think... Uh, shock of the tournament, there is a possibility, and a lot of this is a bit contingent on what happens at the weekend, but I think Samoa can be very, uh, very, very dangerous to England under certain circumstances. Really serious. Come on, be brave. Say it. Hmm? Oh, Samoa, they'll smash England all over France. Um, no, I, I, I think I think the Samoans have it in them to... And now England have finally lost against a, a South Seas nation. I think that if they go into that game under pressure, which is perfectly possible... They will find that a very difficult game to win. So let, let, let's on, go. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We let's go for Samoa to beat England. Just, just say you. the shock, the shock of the tournament for you, Chris. Samoa to is... beat England. Samoa to beat England. Thank you. I froze up there. <laughs> Terry, we need you on more. That's the first straight answer he's ever given on the rugby paper book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and round us off, Chris. Tournament winner. I would love to say France. I think New Zealand. Good stuff. Right, Brendan, let's try again. Right, so who, who, who should we start with? Um, player of the tournament. Player of the tournament. It's DuPont's time. We build him up. He never lets us down. Oh, Brendan. Uh, hasn't let us down yet. Uh, one to watch. I'm, I'm going to 
um, stick up for the little countries here. Portugal got a couple of belting backs who, are, who you're going to enjoy if they get any ball. They've got a little fullback, Nuno Guedes, who's a little magician. I hope he gets a bit of pill. Rafael Storti, Rodrigo Marta. Shock of the tournament is uh, Samar will beat Argentina. Okay, nice. And play, uh, tournament winner, lastly. South Africa will win it. Uh, I want France to have a great tournament, but South Africa will win it. Okay, right. I'm going to go France as well um, as my winners. Look, I think we've promoted the tournament fantastically. It's going to be a great World Cup. By that logic on balance, France are our favourites. Jerry, I know you've got a bad back. I hugely appreciate you giving us your time. I take it you're not making it out to France at any point. Uh, if if it improves, I will. But I, you know, I need to get to the end of this week. If there's been some improvement, I'll, I'll be okay. If there's not, then I may have another jab, or I might have an operation. Even the operation might give me enough opportunity to be there. I'm due to be there for semi-final one. Um, if I do, uh, that'd be great because I'd love to pick up some of the atmosphere because I just know, as we've talked about, the French are going to be mad for it, and um, even in Saint Denis. The, the semi-final it, it'll be great and I'd love to just sample some of it I'd love I'd love to be there because it's so close yeah yeah well all of our fingers are crossed for you with your recovery and things and let's hope you make it out there but in the meantime it's been great having you um and yeah wherever you are enjoy the world cup thanks very much same to everybody else good to yeah, see you all and, uh, and have a great time Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.